Uh, we've steadily uh, been moving through the book of Habakkuk in our current Sunday message uh, series. The overarching idea uh, is uh, of a new world uh, to be ushered in by God in his time, in his way, uh, using whomever and whatever instruments that he so chooses. Uh, Habakkuk is God's uh, interlocutor, conversation partner, as Habakkuk engages God in a dialogue of protest, um, but one still couched um, in, God, in, in a framework of trust. Um, Habakkuk has expressed his uh, view that his contemporaneous world was intolerable. God had responded that his will is unstoppable even to the extent of deploying uh, the terrible Babylonians to exact punishment upon the Israelites. Uh, in turn, Habakkuk expressed his bewilderment and attempted to appeal to God's character to denounce the Babylonians instead, all the while failing to see that his own moral arguments uh, lacked self-awareness and national responsibility. Uh, it's God's turn next. Uh, today's text, chapter 2, reports God's response to Habakkuk's uh, censure. The Lord displays not only an awareness of what Habakkuk is struggling with, but describes in rather precise detail what the sinful flaws of the Babylonians really are. God is not blind to them. He will not forget them. There will be an accounting, a terrible and a terrific and terrible one at that. So my title uh, today, God's World View, Unforgettable, tries to highlight this point a little. Uh, to God, all that we do and say and think matter a great deal. They're not forgotten or omitted. He will not forget the good. He will not forget the bad. We may be careless or carefree about them, ourselves, but God does not discount uh, these things. Uh, at the risk of uh, using some very casual colloquialisms, uh, I wanted to organize my sermon with the term got, G-O-T, got, uh, as utilized in contemporary society to uh, denote having or understanding or possessing. For example, when you're trying to persuade somebody that you empathize with them, we might say something like, I get why you're mad at me. I got it, right? We, we try to convey that. Uh, so here's the structure uh, for the message uh, with the I referring to God in the first person. So the first uh, verses two to three, I got this. God's saying that uh, like. Saying this, saying this to Habakkuk, I got this. And then verses 4 to 19, about the Babylonians mostly, uh, God says to them, I gotcha, I caught you, I gotcha. And then um, picking verses 4b, second half, and verse 20, uh, God saying to Habakkuk and other faithful um, people, I got you. Right, meaning he has us in his hands. He'll take care of us. I got you. Uh, each segment indicates that God will not forget. He'll be faithful 
to distribute divine power, justice, and love. Okay, so I got this. In the first few verses, God assures Habakkuk that he knows exactly what is going on and exactly what he is doing. Verse 2 starts out, then the Lord replied. So God is responding to what Habakkuk has said. Basically, uh, implied is something uh, like, don't worry, Habakkuk, I got this. It may not look like that to you or anyone else for that matter, but I won't let you down. Even when the Babylonians come and it looks like all is lost, things are going the way that I have ordained. Continue to trust, continue to obey, continue to wait. What I have planned will surely come to pass. The outcome may seem slow in coming, but it is certain because I am underwriting it. My purpose will be accomplished. My power is at hand. Uh, indeed, God tells Habakkuk to take notes on the future. The prophet sometimes uh, wrote on large wooden tablets so that everyone could see their words. Uh, the tablets functioned like public notices um, in um, accessible places. God was so certain that what he tells Habakkuk will take place that it could be put down into writing. There would be no denying that what was happening was uh, from God. Uh, even more, the news should be mobile enough uh, for a herald to run with it and spread the news all around. Um, I've been struggling uh, a little bit more these days uh, as uh, we hurdle into the 11th month of the year. Um, 2020 has been notoriously uh, a one-off year in terms of how uh, so many things, especially the pandemic, has upended everything. Um, maybe it's the pending election that makes this insane year seem even more kooky. Um, as I shared at our last uh, joint prayer meeting, uh, by the way, please come together virtually to pray together on those Wednesdays. Um, the DT, devotion time for that day, uh, was from Psalm 31. And one of the verses stated poignantly, my time is in your hands. My time is in your hands. Um, it's a confession of David in the midst of persecution and uncertainty. Uh, for me, it's uh, kind of turned into more of a query. Yeah, My time is in your hands, right, God? <laughs> Uh, I've been asking that. I've been praying that. You know, 2020 was supposed to be a vision year for many Christian and secular organizations. Right? Even in an optical sense, like 20 slash 20, 2020 vision is such a, a catchy phrase. For Compass, it was our 25th year. Uh, and for myself, it had some additional personal significance. But then uh, COVID hit and it's still and it's still battering us. Um, and so did the George Floyd killing and then natural disaster after natural disaster. Uh, now the worst political climate in my lifetime. Uh, with so many people praying in preparation for the year 2020, I, I, I think I've been concluded or been forced to conclude in my mind that 2020's events uh, have been uh, from God. 
Uh, I don't know their exact purpose, but somehow uh, God's sovereignty deserves the credit or the blame, right? Depending on your perspective for what is taking place. And many commentators and pundits, both of the Christian variety and otherwise, have offered their interpretation of what God is saying to the world. Uh, I have not found any single explanation convincing, let alone convicting, uh, but I plan to keep uh, praying and waiting. It took uh, great comfort in God's assurance to Habakkuk so many centuries ago. You know, phrases like appointed time and will not prove false, and it will certainly come and will not delay. You know, all these indicate God's, I got this, confidence. He's in control. God is taking uh, care of it. Uh, this must have been quite a relief for Habakkuk. He had gone out on a limb by challenging God's actions as incongruous with the Lord's character and nature. You know, protest and lament can be, you know, both faithful and unfaithful. You know, railing against God can be unfaithful, particularly when the protest is accompanied by God dishonoring behavior. Some will protest God through self-destructive and harmful behavior towards others. But the faithful protest begins with an attitude that continues to address and trust God. And we looked at that last week, right, at Habakkuk's faithful protest. Um, having said his piece, Habakkuk climbed the ramparts of the city walls and waited slash watched for God's response. I think he was half expecting a shrill rebuke from God. He may even believe that he deserved one. But as we see, God does not castigate Habakkuk. In fact, God's answer is so satisfactory that Habakkuk's response in chapter 3, later on, is quite the turnaround. Right? He no longer questions God, but expresses unconditional uh, trust. So I got this. Uh, let us hear those words um, even to us today. Uh, second, right, our next partition uh, um, concerns the lion's share of the verses we are looking at today. Uh, verses four, 4 through 19 comprise the I gotcha, right? I gotcha, G-O-T-C-H-A, I gotcha segment of my sermon. You know, God demonstrates to Habakkuk that he actually knows the truth about injustice and wickedness that exists in Israel and that characterized the Babylonians. Uh, I think God's analysis is a master class in Babylonian culture, pride, and folly. God has not been duped. Uh, he's not being dotardly, nor is he compromising his holiness. God will not only direct the Babylonians to serve as agents of his severe love for the Israelites, but the Babylonians themselves will fall into God's uh, astringent judgment. Uh, God contrasts two ways uh, in the world. The first pathway is uh, characterized by a puffed up desire, uh, which was endemic to the Babylonians. You're puffed up. Uh, it's an odd expression that relates to the sense of being swollen uh, like a tumor or presumption or, or pride, yeah, puffed up. That, that's uh, kind of the kind of the meta description uh, of the Babylonians. The second and opposed way that a person can take is that of the righteous or the upright. They live by faith, 
by fidelity, by steadfastness. Um, and this is exemplified by Habakkuk. So we'll um, keep this in mind, right? Uh, we will uh, talk about the puffed up ways, and then we'll look at um, the faithful uh, at the end of the message. So uh, looking at verse 5, the uh, description, the way of the puffed up. Talks about wine betrays him. So one way to kind of characterize that is to say that uh, the Babylonians were dissolute. They were, they allowed these uh, other things to control them. Um, their lives were not uh, centered around truth, but around such things. Uh, second part, he is arrogant. Right? So that's arrogance, certainly the success and the power and all that they uh, all that they controlled made them proud of themselves. And then never at rest. So this is greed, right? Because he is as greedy as the grave and like death is never satisfied. So he gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the people. So the Babylonians are analogized to death, right? Death deconstructs life. It is full of power and it is never uh, satisfied. Um, another way to, in my mind, to combine uh, these three qualities or elements is by looking at the concept of exploitation. Right? That's kind of a, a very modern wor word, but it's there throughout the, uh, the verses there, 4 through 19. You know, whether it's economic exploitation or sexual exploitation or relational or military exploitation, um, it's a horrible experience to undergo. And the exploiters, those who exploit others, um, you know, usually do it you know, serially. They, they continue to do it. They go from victim to victim. They only think of their own profit. They don't care whose lives are chewed up and spat out. They act in an entitled manner. And they're never sated, right? Nothing is too much. They'll keep going, keep going, and destroy, 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 and build, build, build uh, for themselves. You know, as you know, you go through either history or even look at um, uh, our, our nation's kind of uh, practices. Um, now, I was watching a, um, a webinar, and they're talking about kind of housing, like even in like the, the tri-state area, um, the government um, kind of, they had some um, policies about how to develop certain areas or where to give loans and that kind of stuff. And they actually created these uh, maps, right, that kind of defined uh, zones by race, uh, who, what kind of people lived where, right? And that would affect whether they would give a loan or, you know, what kind of economic uh, infusion they would give to that. Right? That's so uh, exploitative. That's so, in, in my mind, predatory that based on something, right, that has nothing to do with economics, right, um, based on uh, biases and prejudices that, um, that would determine like who to help, who not to help. Uh, um, you know, the Bible is very, uh, there's a lot 
there about uh, certainly, for example, like uh, usury, uh, charging people unfair or predatory interest rates, right? If when they borrow money, right? yeah. So God's very aware of this kind of taking advantage of other people. I think that's why he's coming down so harshly on the Babylonians, or will come down so harshly. They exploited their other nations, uh, resources, and even God's uh, temperance, right? They rapaciously took advantage of other nations to build up their own storehouses using all means available to them, ethical or not. They destroyed livelihoods and lives in order to cover the world with their own name their own power, rather than the knowledge of the glory of God. Right? They even exposed and humiliated others to press uh, the power disparities. According to these verses, however, uh, the puffed up will definitely face the wrath of God for their extortion, for their unjust wealth, their bloodshed, drunkenness, and trust in created things. Right? Their bubble will be popped big time. Not only will God judge them, but the plunderers themselves will be plundered by their own victims. So the voices of the captive survivors will be filled with ridicule and scorn. Yeah, it's true that God's justice moves uh, in large, broad strokes within history, but and, and nations rise and fall according to his will. But justice is also accomplished by the natural judgments of societies against the corrupt and the violent. Right? The victims will take revenge. History will remember violence and the violent will not endure. Right? I think we have a sense of that. You know, God proceeds to uh, speak in the language of woe, W-O-E, woe. Now, the opposite of a blessing, uh, such as displayed in the Beatitudes, those are like blessed are the poor in spirit, of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, God says that those who behave like the Babylonians will face woe, misery, and catastrophe. So here, um, just kind of organized, uh, it was a dense uh, set of verses for me, so I kind of organized it based on the five woes, right, upon those who, um, let, let's keep this slide up, uh, our projection team. Uh, I want to kind of try to stay on this and give a little bit on each of the woes, right? Um, so, uh, this is, and this is mostly from a commentary. It helped me process this. But the first woe, um, for example, uh, as said in verse 6, um, was upon those who gain wealth by theft and extortion, right? So gaining wealth properly with God's blessing is one thing. But the Babylonians, right, they were known for taking and uh, right, inappropriately seizing things that uh, didn't belong uh, to them. Plunder, right? That was the term that's used, right? They were stockpiling of stolen wealth uh, is made possible by hurting people as well as hurting the earth, right? Uh, the creditors one day, though, will demand repayment suddenly and unsparingly. Um, the second woe is related, but it's talking about building up your own realm, your own world to escape the consequences. Um, so you, it's a kind of a inappropriate self-protectionism. Right? 
Uh, you'll build security at the expense of others. But in the process, you'll be left with not nothing, right? Um, it's a waste. It, it itself will be judged even by the structure. Uh, the house itself will cry out and echo the shame of the ruined builder. Uh, woe number three is that um, you build a city, right, with bloodshed and crime. So like corruption, for example, where you, uh, on the backs of people, right, you gain strength, you build something that maybe looks awesome and wonderful and glorious to you or to the world, but it's at the expense, right, of the lives of others, right? The sin is building with crime and bloodshed. Right? Uh, and that was certainly true of the Babylonians. Um, then after these three woes, we have a kind of a, a, a kind of almost like God is taking a breath. Because verse 14, right, comes in and talks about the knowledge of the glory of God. Right? That stands as a stark contrast to what the Babylonians and, and their ilk uh, perpetuated, right? Instead of the human shame, instead of human uh, sin right, permeating the world, yeah, God will one day bring about hit the knowledge of his glory, and that will saturate um, the world, will saturate the cities. And then go back to the fourth woe, there in verse 14 uh, or 15, for example. And this is kind of a, a very uh, disturbing one, right? It's more than just like power and, and um, kind of greed. Uh, this is kind of, um, a, a, there's, a, there's a real kind of deep cruelty uh, to this that the Babylonians uh, amused themselves at their captors Captives, sorry, captives' expense. So they would use like sexuality as a means to expose and debase their victims. They would uh, inebriate them. They would um, cause them to be drunk, to disrobe them, and to uh, you know, shame them. So um, the, the commentary that I read was saying that this is a sample of how they it's more than just about their you know, sexual kind of problems. It was actually a denuding, right, of much more, right? meaning that the way that the Babylonians took uh, the scorched earth policy, where they would, you know, take the wood. They would so the the the, the Lebanon, for example, was a place where there's uh, you know great amounts of trees. It would be they would strip it naked. And they would take the people from the cities, so they would empty out the cities, and the land itself would be uh, bereft of animals. So it's kind of a, a, a very kind of consumption, it's kind of devouring of all the ways in which God has blessed the earth, right? All of God's creation, beloved creation, would have been assaulted. Right? It's kind of like Saruman <laughs> in Lord of the Rings when you know he starts wiping out the Fangorn forest and these these amazing trees in order to fuel the industry of war and create the Urukai. Right? Right? The, the last woe, the fifth woe, is the futility and spiritual isolation um, for those who 
trust in lifeless idols, in things made of silver and stone, and pretending that somehow those they will answer your, your prayers. Right? This such a person is going to uh, encounter, face, yeah, um, the cruel truth, the hard truth that such things cannot give life. They cannot give guidance. They have no breath. Okay. Thank you for the keeping the slide up. In all, the Babylonians will have to face the music, a whole orchestra of it playing uh, a symphony of retribution and justice against the, them for their exploitative and um, godless actions. Gotcha, says justice. Gotcha, says the truth. Gotcha, say the victims. Gotcha, says the, says the Lord God Almighty. Our third and last subtopic uh, is God's knowledge of the faithful. The chapter ends abruptly with a declaration that God is in charge. Right? But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Verse 20. The Babylonian empire will one day be a fleeting memory. But God's reign will conquer, outlast, and endure forever. All the puffed up and the proud will be muted. Uh, but God will not forget those right, who have been faithful to him. Uh, those are the righteous, uh, meaning most uh, fundamentally those that are in a right relationship with God. To them, God uh, would say something to the effect of, I've got you, right? I have you in my hand. I've got a, you are uh, hidden in me. You are mine and always will be mine. I will not leave you or forsake you. I have you. I got you. Um, this is the lonesome Habakkuk. The voice of truth and justice in a corrupt world. This is Israel and Judah once repented. Once repentant. This is us uh, trying to make our way or God's way, rather, uh, in this uh, tumultuous and confusing world and time. So um, let's look at that uh, contrast again. Verse 4, see his puffed up, his desires are not upright. Uh, and this is the faith faithful part. But the righteous will live by his faith. So according to verse 4b, those who want to live in right relationship with God, uh, will live by their trust in the promises of the Lord. Right. So again, uh, for Habakkuk and those who read this passage, for the original readers of the writings, living by faith meant believing in God's word given through Habakkuk. Faith meant uh, waiting for God to fulfill his promises. You know, that quote, the righteous will live by faith, it shows up several times. Uh, in the New Testament as well, especially in Paul's writings, where um, he talks about yeah, faith rather than works, right? defining righteousness. Yeah. Faith leading to trust, faith leading to obedience, faith leading to patience. Right? That's God's answer. Right? Habakkuk says, I can't handle this. Why are there so many wicked why is there so much wickedness? 
why is God using the treacherous? And God says, you can only understand that. You can only live. You can only continue by living uh, by faith. Right? Faith in uh, God's word. So if we put 4B and 20 together, I think um, God is reminding Habakkuk that God has not forgotten. Right? He refuses to ever forget those who are faithful. He will remember them. He has a hold of them in a special way. Uh, all will eventually be made right with the trustful that uh, belong to God. I got you, Habakkuk. I will always have you. Uh, is that ringing true to our ears, our mind, our hearts today? Um, can you hear that assurance? Uh, are we even on the ramparts of our lives, waiting and listening? Or have we given up? Have we just said, enough is enough? Are we maybe still protesting and lamenting? Uh, the uh, conclusion, right, is we need to stay faithful. Faithful. Um, this chapter completes uh, God's response. The rest of the prophetic book is Habakkuk's speech and thought. Uh, God um, has, I think, spoken to Habakkuk and to the Babylonians and to all uh, people like us who are going through our own kind of intolerable situation. Um, in the coming weeks, we'll look at Habakkuk's response. Um, he, he, he's, he's convinced. Right? We'll see his uh, song of praise and worship. And I hope that's true of us, that at the end of the pandemic, there'll be a similar response of faith uh, from us. Okay. Let's pray. Mm, the movements in my message were, I got this, right? God says, I'm, I, I'm in control. I gotcha. You know, if, if the Babylonians, if the United States, if we are like this, uh, heed these warnings, heed these woes. And I've got you. God um, has us firmly in his grip, in his protection. Let's reflect.